Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, please open our hearts and our minds. Lord, speak to us wherever we are, the things that we're going through, uh, the struggles, the joys, the busyness. Lord, let this be a moment where uh, we calm, uh, we're able to listen, and you're able to break through the noise in our lives. Equip and encourage us in all areas to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for your honor and glory. Amen. Lord Jesus, illuminate the darkness in our hearts. Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to your saving love. Christ, have mercy. Lord Jesus, unstop our ears to hear your living word. Lord, have mercy. Please be seated. Quick check before we go. Recording, Aaron? Okay. I want to share something with you that will have no relevance whatsoever to your life. Nobody has ever painted me. There are no paintings of me. The closest I have is my kids have done Crayola drawings of me. And one of the cool things about their drawings, almost every time, I'm like three feet taller than everybody else in the picture. I'm like the big one, you know, which I'm, I'm not small, but I'm definitely not big. Um, there's lots of people taller than I am, so it's so cool to see this picture and be like, yeah, and you look down at everybody. I've never been painted. I have never painted me either. I've never done a self-portrait. But lots of artists have done self-portraits. And there is one hanging in the Norton Simon Museum in Pasadena, California, that Rembrandt did of himself when he was 32 years old. And the picture, what I found interesting about it was they had all the description and they told you all about stuff and it was all neat, but there was a lady who's a casting director for movies. And she'd gone into the museum and they were asking her, when you see this picture, how would you cast Rembrandt based on this picture? And I thought, that's kind of a fun twist on you know, reading these things. And she said a number of things, and basically what she came down to is, I would cast him as some type of like a, a manager or something. Um, he's got confidence, but not arrogance. And, and I don't see him, and this was the line, I don't see him as the leading man. Well, that's kind of interesting. He painted himself in such a way that it conveyed, I'm not the leading man. I've got confidence, but I'm not arrogant about it. This morning, I want to show you what a portrait of the Apostle Peter would look like toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I want to paint a picture for you. And as we look at the, his picture, really, it's kind of his picture. It's not quite a self-portrait because I'm helping him a little bit. But it's, it's kind of his self-portrait. And I want you to ask yourself, if you were doing a self-portrait, how much might it look like Peter's? Open your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse number 
On one occasion, nothing more specific, um, what we know probably is that it's been a few months since he started his ministry. Luke chapter 4 ends with a general statement that he's been going throughout the synagogues preaching the kingdom. And this scene is actually a result of him going from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue to synagogue preaching the kingdom. This is what ends up happening. While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So he has spent time, I'm over in this synagogue, they're learning to hear from him, I'm over in this synagogue, and and his message is the same, it's the kingdom, and you can read through the gospels and you can see a number of things he might have been talking about when he talked about the kingdom. The way in which the power of God has come to cast demons out, to redeem people. The love and power and will of God. He's been preaching that. But he's been preaching it so much in all these synagogues that now they're just coming out into like the the shoreline area, out in the middle of nature, and they're coming to him. He doesn't have to go to a church to do it. He's become so popular. And they're pressing in on him. His back is to the lake of Gennesaret. It's another word for the lake of Galilee. This is a lake that's about eight miles across and about 14 miles long. Standing on one side, you can see to the other. And so he's standing with his back and they're pressing against him. Here's a little insight for you. Again, it has nothing to do with my sermon and probably nothing to do with your life. It has to do with my life, though. I thought it was important. He's getting pressed in upon, and you're gonna see in a moment that he wants to get away from that. And then I was thinking, how many times has Jesus gone off by himself? Did you know that Jesus was an introvert? (laughs) Just like me. It's awesome. Again, nothing to do with my message. All right. So he's being pressed in upon. He's preaching the kingdom. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So here he is. Lake is over here. People are over here. He's looking down the shoreline. There's a couple of boats and some fishermen. The boats are pulled up onto the shoreline. They're off and they're washing their nets. Now, just for a moment, what do you think those fishermen are thinking? Here's this massive crowd of people. And by the way, this is early morning. Okay? They are still cleaning their nets from the nightly fish. Like the sun has just started rising. This is dawn. What in the world are all of these people doing out here at this hour of the morning? And here's Jesus teaching. I wonder what these fishermen are thinking. Here's the one thing they don't do. They don't drop the nets and come figure it out. Why? We'll get to it. Verse 3. Getting into one of... Wait, what? Man, Luke, you just jumped. Um, so he's here, and boom, he's getting into a boat. All right, something happened between verse 2 and 3. This is what happened. Jesus looked down and saw the boats and decided that, that would be a good place to be. And so he began walking down the shoreline. But when he gets there, he just gets into a boat, which also seems very odd. Could you imagine yourself just walking along the shoreline? You see somebody's boat, and you just step in it. What? What would give you the right to do that? So he steps into a boat, which was Simon's. This is Peter. 
And he asked them to put out a little from land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. All right, so remember, he doesn't want to be pressed in on. So he gets in the boat, he pulls it out a little bit, he sits down, and he begins to teach. All right, this boat is likely somewhere between 18 and 23 feet long. It'd be manned by four sailors, and the rest of the boat would be to haul the net and the fish up into it. Right, and so as the boat gets pushed out a little bit, it is likely manned. Because in a moment, he's going to say, hey, let's go out and fish. So it's Jesus and then some other people, and Peter at least, and then other guys that work for him. They're all in this boat, and then Jesus starts teaching. Now, we don't know how long he taught, but he's a preacher, so it was probably a while. Now, if you're Peter, what have you been doing all night long You've been fishing. You're exhausted. Some of you, you got a little bit of sleep last night. You're still going to fall asleep during my sermon. Imagine if you had fished all night long what it would be like. So here's Peter. He's in the boat. The other guys are the same thing. They're probably nodding off and bumping each other as he's preaching. Peter's hearing these words. What is Peter thinking? Now, here's the thing you need to know. This is the second time that this has happened. See, the first time Jesus called Peter, they were on the shore, and they were fishing from the shore. And he called them. And they went with him. And they spent whatever those months were going from synagogue to synagogue as he preached the kingdom. And at some point, Peter went back to fishing. Jesus is coming a second time to call him. Why? All right, here's the portrait I picture of Peter. Peter does not believe he brings enough to the kingdom. And so he went back to fishing because that's what Peter knows. That's what he's good at, although the previous night wouldn't show that because he caught no fish. But that's what he knows, fishing. And, and here's what I'm imagining him doing. As Jesus is preaching this amazing stuff of the kingdom that Peter has already heard. He's heard it multiple times. But he's sitting back there, barely awake, going, I tried this. I've already done this. Like, that sounds awesome. The kingdom sounds amazing. But I don't bring enough. And so then you get this. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and this is directly to Simon, the verb in Greek here is singular, even though there's multiple people in the boat. Put out into the deep. Um, the Greek word means something like return. Go back out, that's what he's telling him. Go back out. And let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, and the reason he uses that term and the reason he was able to get into that boat is because they already know each other. Which, by the way, makes you wonder even more. As Peter's over here, he's washing these nets. And he looks over and he goes, there's Jesus again. Oh my goodness, look at all those people that are following him. And yet, he still doesn't head that direction. 
I almost wonder, again, I'm speculating, I almost wonder if he just put his head down. Let's just get through this. Let's wash the nets and get on with my life. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Toiled all night and we took nothing. Peter does not believe he brings enough to the kingdom work. And so he went back to what he knows. He knows fishing. He knows nets. He knows fish. He knows the water. He knows boats. But not the kingdom. Because fishing is his vocation. He's never been trained to be a rabbi. He didn't go to seminary. He knows fishing. So he goes back to it. Let me ask you. Have you ever been in a position where you didn't feel equipped? Have you ever been in a place where you didn't feel like you brought enough to the table? I want to tell you one of my first Christian experiences where I felt so inadequate. I became a Christian in high school. A couple of months after becoming a Christian, I began to think to myself, and boy, did I feel just childish and kind of arrogant and started thinking to myself, maybe I should teach a Bible study. Now, I'm hanging out with people who have been Christians all their lives. They've done the Sunday school. One of them went to a Christian school. And here I am three months into this thing. Can I teach a Bible study? And then somebody said to me, after a conversation about something in Scripture, have you thought about teaching a Bible study? And that was when it kind of became real, and I'm like, oh my goodness, there is no way. Like, number one, I'm a total introvert, and I don't really want to teach anybody anything because I have to stand in front of them. Don't want to do that. Number two, I have the least knowledge about the Scriptures. Why would I possibly want to do this? I felt in that moment I didn't bring enough to the table to do this. Where have you felt like you haven't brought enough to the table? And let me ask you, do you ever feel that way about Christianity? Do you ever hear a message and think, that sounds so awesome, I'm not sure I can do it though? Or have you ever thought, hey, there's that need over there, but I am, fill in the blank, I'm a stockbroker, I'm a teacher, I'm an accountant, I manage stocks, I do insurance, I, and thought, I have these skills, not these skills. Um, so guess, oh, yeah, I'll set up some chairs, I could do that. Um, but you want me to like talk to people? Or you want me to like do something to move the kingdom forward? I, I don't, that's not me. I don't have those skills. I think that's where Peter was. Peter did not believe he brought enough to the table. So what does Jesus do? Sorry, what does Jesus do? He already did it. He said, go out into the water. Here's what Peter does. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, you gotta think about what that means. While Peter believes he doesn't bring enough, Peter's choice to do what he's doing right now, it will transform what he believes. I, I want you to think with me how hard this choice was to do what that Jesus just told him to do. All, right, all the things against him, all the reasons Peter should not take the boat out, all the reasons he should not drop the nets. Hey, number one, we just cleaned the dang things. 
You want us to bring them back out there again and get them dirty? Number two, you can't catch fish with these nets during the day. They show up in the water. The types of nets they used for the deep water fishing, the reason you did it at night is so the fish wouldn't see the net. You drop the net down, it has multiple layers in it that slowly get down so when the fish get to this point, they can't get out. And you scare the schools of fish into the net. If they see the net, they're just gonna go around it. Why would we go in the middle of the day and do this? Speaking of that, number three, we're exhausted. You want us to go do something that will literally do nothing for us while we're so tired? And now here's Peter. Remember, there's other guys in the boat that have to do this too. And Peter's gonna have to tell all these other guys, you have to do it too. Let's all go out there and completely waste our time, catch nothing while we're totally exhausted. And, and now let's reverse this. I really believe Peter doesn't believe he has what it takes, but I doubt he believes Jesus has what it takes to tell him how to fish. Little bump here, um, you're a rabbi. What do you know about fishing? Clearly nothing, because you wouldn't be having us go out in deep waters with these white nets trying to catch fish. And yet he does it. That moment was a choice of faith even with all of his doubts, even with his attitude was, master, this is not going to work. <sighs> but because you said it, I'm going to do it. It's the fact that he still does it. That choice to make that faith move will transform what Peter believes. And if he doesn't make this choice, watch what doesn't happen. Verse six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. There are so many fish in this net that it is actually starting to break. So Peter, he signals, hey, everybody else, get the other boat, get out here, come help. And they began to, they came and they filled the boats so that the boats were going down and water was coming over the side. This catch would have been worth probably two weeks worth of their labor in one catch. None of that would have taken place if Peter hadn't said, all right, I'll do what you said I'm gonna do. Peter doesn't make this happen, but his faith in making the choice is what then allows Jesus to do what he wanted to do. If Peter had said, no, we've already cleaned the nets, I'm going back home, this wouldn't have happened. And this is a pivotal moment that changes what Peter believes. Look what happens. Verse eight, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, which by the way, I think is just so bizarre. I mean, just picture this scene. You get these two boats. These fish are flopping everywhere in nets. Water is coming over the sides. Men are yelling. And here's what Peter does. <sighs> falls to his knees in the middle of the boat because what just happened so overcomes him that it changes what he believes. And he says this, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Go away. Which, you know, is, is such a Peter thing. Where's he gonna go? They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But, but that's Peter, just pivotal moments 
Right? We have them throughout our life, right? Moments where we do something, we make certain decisions, something happens, and it begins a trajectory. It starts us going someplace. You can think of some of the big ones. You know, like the moment you were handed a diploma from college. The moment that you said, I do. The moment that you held the child for the first time. The moment that you signed the documents and were handed the keys to your very first house. They're like really big moments and they mean something to us and they, they shape us. And then there's the smaller ones too. Can you think of like a conversation that you had that somehow that particular conversation, it just stuck with you and it made you think about something differently? Um, maybe it was a movie you saw and you're like, that movie just changed my life. I mean, literally, I'm not over, like I saw it, something happened. I went, wow, I'm seeing something different. There are pivotal moments in our lives that change us. Um, my family and I just watched Back to the Future. Raise your hand if you've seen Back to the Future. Okay, good, all right. Um, watch the first one, it's good. Second one, I don't know what crack they were on, but man, <laughs> it is bad. Um, but that first one, first one is, is pretty good. And, uh, and here's the interesting thing to me about that movie. That movie is all about the way in which a single event sets the course. And so they go back, and that, that moment where, you know, McFly comes to the car thinking that Marty's going to be there, and instead he opens the door and it's Biff. And he's like, oh, what do I do? And then Biff has got his arm behind his back, and, but Marty, he looks in the window, and, or in the car, and he sees her, and she's screaming. And he just pulls the fist back and goes, bam, and just knocks Biff out. And that one moment changes the course of their whole relationship. So that when he goes back to the future, now Biff is out washing his car, you know, and he's knocking on his head and just reverses everything. But those single moments, they can mean something. Can I tell you what happened to me? I was looking to do a Bible study. I had that one friend who said, you should do this, and I'm like, oh, that's ridiculous, I shouldn't do that. And I'm just thinking about this for a couple of weeks. And then... I got a letter in the mail because this was 1990 or something and we didn't have email. So I got a letter in the mail and it was from the church that I came to Christ in like you know, three or four months before. In this letter, they had written, we were praying for you and this verse, we think God wants you to hear. And the verse is out of 1 Timothy. And it says, look, let no one look down on you because you are young, but teach the word in season and out. First time I'd ever had any kind of like, oh my goodness, is this Christian thing like more real than just my feelings or my desires or wants? But if you're ever wondering if a particular event can set a trajectory, just kind of look forward right now and look at what I'm doing. I would not have been doing this. This was not part of my plan. Never intended any of this. But when God speaks, and when we act in faith, because I got the verse, I still had to go do it though. I still had to step out and do that first study, which was super uncomfortable with all these people who know the Bible better than I do. But I did, and God just began to do things. Because the pivotal moments of faith can change what we believe, especially 
about what God is capable of. Because that's what happens with Peter. Here's what Peter was doing. I just don't bring enough to the table. Well, in a way, Peter, you're right. But in a way, you're wrong. Because what you, are, what you think about not bringing enough to the table, you're right that you don't. You're wrong that it matters. It doesn't matter what you bring. It matters what you believe. Because what God can do with whatever you bring is far more than you can imagine. Look what he does. Verse nine. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. It's interesting that they're out there too. Simon was a leader from the very beginning. People were following him even when he went back to fishing. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Here's the first thing. Do not be afraid no matter how sinful you are. You ever felt truly sinful? You ever felt like Peter and just wanted to fall on your knees and go, I've really screwed up? Jesus says, stand back up and don't be afraid. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. I can still use you when you come to me. But it's not just that. Do not be afraid. From now on, from now on, trajectory, pivot moment. From now on, I have a plan for you. I have a plan to take whatever you bring and use it for the kingdom. Whatever you have, whatever your background was, whatever your struggles are, from now on, don't go back, Peter. Come with me. From now on. Um, Legos. Love Legos. Anybody else like Legos? Come on, you gotta like Legos. If you don't like Legos, there's something wrong with you. All right, Legos are awesome. Love Legos. Whole family loves Legos. We're like doing family Lego time now. Love Legos. Now, when you buy a set of Legos, you get an instruction guide. An instruction guide will tell you exactly how to build something, and when you build it, it can be really cool. But, second question about Legos and movies. How many of you have seen the Lego movie? Oh my goodness, go watch the Lego movie. I mean, it's really that good. It's totally for adults. Like, kids get something out of it, but adults get so much more. Lego movie. In the Lego movie, they have master builders. Master builders don't stick with just the instructions because Legos were never intended to just be the instructions, right? You build the thing, but then there's so many other things you can build. So many other things you can build with this thing. Because that's how Legos were literally constructed to be. Did you know that if you had a Lego piece from 1958, it would still connect to your piece from 2019? I mean, I, can't, I have nothing in my home to play a cassette tape or a CD or a record. I don't have a home phone, but dang it, my Lego pieces, they still work. Because that's how they were made. Do you know that if you had six, eight, uh, peg Legos, you can connect them in 915 million ways. A 12-year-old boy took the, um, uh, 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 the mind, what's the EVC? Mindstorm. I forgot, the Mindstorm. Took the Mindstorm, which is a little Lego robotic thing, 
You build it just like Legos, but it's got a little system in it. You can program it to do things. He took the Mindstorm and he built a Braille printer out of it. Using its parts for $350, these things run about $2,000. And he built it because he saw a sign about, about blind people and he was trying to help. Because that's what Legos are for. You build other things out of them. You don't have to go get different things. You already have all the stuff you need. Think with me about what Jesus did in this scene. He used a boat for a pulpit. He used nets to do a miracle. And then he uses fisherman language. He says it this way, from now on you'll be catching men to describe the occupation of Peter. What happens in Legos is what God does with our lives. He doesn't need any more stuff. Whatever your background is, whatever you're trained in, whatever you've gone through, he's not telling you, okay, you need to go change and be perfect and get rid of all of this stuff and then come talk to me about doing stuff in the kingdom. Then you'll be ready. Because it's not what you bring, it's what you believe. Your limitations are not limitations to him. In fact, half the time our limitations are his opportunities. We just have to take that step of faith that says, I'm gonna bring you what I have and I'm gonna step out even when it is really, really hard and I'm gonna make some decisions, much like Peter did in this boat where he made a decision that he really should not have done but he's trusting Christ even when he shouldn't do it. Can I ask you, who do you need to stop being angry at? Who do you need to go do something in their life? Who do you need to apologize to? What in your life do you need to give up? You just refuse to give it up. When we take steps of faith, we open doors for great catches of fish and we put, our place in a, we put ourselves in a position to see what God is capable of so that we can just bring him whatever we have. Wherever you are right now, whatever you do, whatever you're trained in, whatever your past is, he can use all of it. And he doesn't need you to be perfect and he doesn't need you to go to a seminary degree to do it. He needs you to come in faith and be who you are so that he can make you more. In that same museum, there is a second Rembrandt self-portrait hanging next to it. It was painted two years later. He was 32 in the first one, he was 34 in the next one. But there's a big difference between the two paintings. In the second painting, his clothing and everything has changed. And he is wearing an outfit, or at least painted himself in an outfit, that mimics the great painters that came before him even though the style is no longer in style at that point in the 1600s. He's painted himself to look like the greats. And the casting director said, when I look at this one and I look into his eyes, there is a great amount of arrogance that he's painted in himself, that he sees himself as above others. What happened in those two years? Because when he painted in 32, he was right on the cusp of his success. 
and he became wealthy. He became successful. That was his pivotal moment. And his new portrait shows it. It shows the arrogance that he gained through it, the pride. Now, a couple years after that, his wife would die. A number of things would happen, and things would go way downhill for Rembrandt. But in that self-portrait, that moment changed him. If I had to paint Peter at this point, I think I'd paint a man whose eyes were looking completely to his Lord without a hint of pride, nothing but humility. Someone who would say, crucify me upside down when I have to die because I'm not even worthy to die in the same way as my Lord. Someone who has seen the power of God and is willing to give everything for it. What's your portrait? Pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love in our lives. Thank you for the continued encouragement that where we are right now, you love us and you can use us. That we can do great things for you because you can take what we have and make great things out of it. Help us to take those steps of faith, even when they're costly, and to give to you whatever we have that you might use it however you want. In Jesus' name, amen.